0: morning you'll find in acts 217 to 21 if you care to follow after in your own bibles <clears throat> in the last days god says i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church. <clears throat> if you were thinking about joining the Marines and you went to their website, this is what you would read about their boot camp or basic training. There are few reputations more storied and none more deserving than that of Marine Corps recruit training. The difficulties this process presents to every recruit are as deliberate as they are legendary, as physical, mental, and moral toughness are prerequisites to fight among our ranks. During these 13 weeks of intense battles, it is not enough to simply endure, you must prevail. Pushing through surrender's pull, pulling together to prevent all from falling apart, tapping into the purpose that brought you there. There is no room in our ranks for those who fall behind. Because of this, we constantly and continually take recruits to the brink of exhaustion in ways that test their toughness physically, mentally, and even ethically. What doesn't stop them only makes them more purposeful. And the hardships they overcome together only make them more resilient. It's a demanding process, but also an exacting one. <clears throat> this following stories from sermoncentral.com. There was a Marine sergeant who was recuperating from wounds he received when an explosion damaged multiple vertebrae, his left hip, and parts of his legs. His entire left side absorbed a large large portion of the blast, and his fellow Marines, who were also injured, pulled him out of the vehicle to safety. He had difficulty standing or sitting for long periods of time and usually had to alternate between those positions as the pain increased. While he was in the hospital, they had the annual POW MIA 5K run, and this sergeant completed the run, shuffling through the three miles with his cane in about 52 minutes. To this sergeant and many others, being a Marine means completing the mission despite any obstacles, pushing yourself past where others would quit, always keeping the goal in mind and pressing ever forward, one small step at a time until you reach victory. And when I think about the training required to be a Marine and the mentality of that sergeant, I think about Joseph. You know, Joseph must have been physically and mentally tough as he was thrown into a pit by his own brothers for who knows how long and was then sold into slavery by them. And we know from last week's message that he was morally tough as he refused the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife, was wrongfully accused by her, and thrown in jail. He was faithful and obedient to the Lord because the Lord was with him. And he was faithful to Potiphar because he put him in charge of his entire household. He continued to trust in God despite all the obstacles that came his way and was patient, waiting on God to deliver him, never quitting or giving up. He knew that God had something great in store for his life, and he kept pressing forward one small step at a time until his mission and purpose came to fulfillment. You know, every experience, every hardship, God tests his people through adversity to mature them in obedience, patience, and faithfulness. So before we dive into Genesis 40 this morning, I want to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts and minds to what he wants us to learn and what he wants us to apply to our lives today. let our heads. Dear awesome God, as we open your word this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to this passage And as we learn about going through basic training in your army, Lord God, I pray that we would allow you to mature us in obedience, patience, and faithfulness, even when it means going through adversity and trials of many kinds. Help us to persevere, becoming mature and complete, not lacking anything, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So three points this morning first one is incarceration, and it's found in Genesis 40, verses one to eight. Follow along as I read those verses. This is what God's word says. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Jesus, Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So we begin with a time stamp sometime later, which means that Joseph was in prison for a considerable amount of time before the cupbearer and the baker offended their master. Their master was the king of Egypt, who was Pharaoh. And this title, king of Egypt, is used three times in this passage to emphasize that, yes, they are officials in Pharaoh's court, but they are also his servants. The cupbearer and the baker were probably foreigners who had been previously enslaved and were now trusted officials in his court. This reminds us of Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, Artaxerxes, who was an official in his court because he was a man of influence and ability? These were important positions of power, temptation, and danger. If someone wanted to assassinate the Pharaoh, one way, to be, one way would be to poison his food or drink. And these officials would have been the first to come under suspicion. Now, they're also called the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, meaning that they would have also had the responsibility of ensuring that their respective staffs were wholly trustworthy as well. We see that both of these officials offended or sinned against Pharaoh. We aren't told what their specific offenses were, meaning that God in his sovereignty was probably orchestrating all these events. The phrase sinned against is probably to connect and contrast the last chapter, where Joseph was thrown into prison for refusing to sin against God. And here where the officials were thrown into prison for sinning against Pharaoh. The officials were there justly, while Joseph was not. Pharaoh was angry or enraged. And Winham in his commentary says that Pharaoh kind of lost his temper. But it would not have been an overreaction. It would not have been over something trivial. And he put them under house arrest and the captain of the guard pending an investigation and the charges against them. You know, by God's sovereignty, they were confined in the same prison with Joseph. And he was assigned by the captain of the guard to attend to them. Potiphar's not named here, but it makes sense that Joseph, who was once in charge of his household, and who was now in charge of and responsible for all that was done in the prison, would be assigned to attend these officials. This reinforces the overarching theme of the Joseph story, which is the providence and the sovereignty of God. God. God's in control of what is happening to Joseph. If Joseph is not put in charge of Potiphar's house, he doesn't have the opportunity to be wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife. He doesn't get sent to prison. If he is not in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, and if God isn't with Joseph, if he doesn't grant him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, then Joseph is never assigned to attend these prisoners. He never hears and interprets their dreams. We can praise the Lord this morning because he is sovereign and his sovereignty is amazing. Only God can work all things out perfectly even though it brings trials and adversity to his people for his purposes. Only God in his infinite wisdom can use these trials and adversity to bring his people to maturity in obedience, patience, and faithfulness and all for his glory and his honor. So again, we see a timestamp. Quote, after they had been in custody for some time, unquote. We don't know how long before they had their dreams, but it seems like God was giving Joseph time to work on being patient. The cupbearer and the baker both had dreams on the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. The following morning, when Joseph came to attend them, he noticed that they were dejected, or sad, and this word translated dejected was usually used for a raging sea, which gives us the sense that they were both distraught. Seeing seeing themselves as participants in a dream where no one was speaking would have been unnerving and would have added to their feeling of dread. Joseph, instead of ignoring them, inquires why their faces are so sad. And you know what? We should also be aware of the faces that we come in contact with. God may be wanting us to reach out to them to comfort and care for them as Joseph did here. That brings us to our first principle this morning, which is God is pleased when we notice the hurt in others and try to comfort them. We see this in the following verses. Philippians 2, 3-4 says this. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort of we ourselves receive from God. You know, Joseph was not so preoccupied with his own struggles, that he didn't notice that they were struggling as well. Instead of ignoring their faces, which would be the easy thing to do, he inquired as to why they were so sad. And I believe God wants us to be attentive to those that we come in contact with, and we need to notice that they seem to be having a bad day or struggling with something. All it takes is asking why or what and being ready and willing to listen and help in any way we can. Which brings us to the first next step on the back of your communication card this morning. My next step is to notice those who are hurting, not ignoring them, but listening to and comforting them. They both answer that they are sad because they've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them that there was no one to interpret because they were in prison. And it would have already been a bad omen that both had dreams on the same night, but to not have access to someone who could interpret them would have made it worse. They would have thought that their dreams were about their futures, and not having an interpreter would have upset them more than being in prison in the first place. Hamilton says a dream without an accompanying interpretation is like a diagnosis without a prognosis and I would add a diagnosis without a treatment. Now, Egypt was well-known for having magicians who could interpret dreams. They believed that dreams came from the gods, but interpretation came from human beings. They had dream books that would have contained sample dreams along with the keys to interpreting those dreams. These books would contain thousands of dreams, the symbolism used in them, And the interpretation of those symbols to tell what the dreams meant. These magicians would use the symbols, an understanding of the person who dreamed, and current events to interpret that dream. Next, we see the faithfulness of Joseph. You know, he's in prison for being wrongly accused, but he still puts his faith and trust in God, having full confidence that he will give him the interpretations. And he has this confidence because God has done it before. God will give him the interpretations of their dreams because he's already been proven faithful by giving Joseph the interpretation of his dreams. Joseph's relationship with God has not waned or wavered. He believes that God is all-powerful and has authority over all things. He is humble, and he tells the officials that it's not only God, it's only God who can interpret these dreams and not himself. He then asked them to tell him their dreams, putting himself in a position to be used by God. That brings us to our second principle this morning, which God is pleased when we allow him to use us to fulfill his plans and purposes. You know, this is a principle we've seen before in our study of the book of Genesis. Joseph, even though he is in prison, is obedient, patient, and faithful and he allows God to use him to fulfill his plans and purposes. That brings us to our second point this morning, which is interpretation, and that's found in verses nine to 19. Again, follow along, and this is what God's word says. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just like you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. So the first dream that Joseph interprets is the cupbearers. And in his dream, the cupbearer is fulfilling his occupation. He's responsible not only for opening and tasting the wine, but for the quality of what is put in Pharaoh's cup. This would include the production of the wine seen in budded, blossoming, and the ripening of the grapes. Next, we notice some sets of threes. There's a vine with three branches on it. There are the three actions of the branches, budded, blossomed, and ripened. And we see that the cupbearer is holding Pharaoh's cup, squeezing the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, and putting the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Pharaoh and cup are mentioned three times. Joseph, immediately after hearing the cupbearer's dream, starts to interpret it. This immediacy proves that Joseph is truly interpreting these dreams. He's not faking it and the rapidity with which the actions happened showed that the dream's fulfillment was imminent. The three branches stood for three days, meaning that the interpretation would be realized in that time. The ripening of the grapes, the cupbearer's interaction with Pharaoh, and the threefold mention of Pharaoh shows their close relationship. And the interpretation of lift up your head meant that he would be restored to his position in Pharaoh's court. Joseph then takes the opportunity after giving this favorable interpretation to ask a favor of his own. And this showed his confidence in God's interpretation, but it was also smart on Joseph's part. You don't say, when is the best time to ask a favor of somebody? You know, it's when you give them good news, right? He asked the cupbearer that once he got released to remember him and show him kindness by putting in a good word for him with Pharaoh he wants to get out of this prison. He must have realized at some level that he's there because God wants him to be there. That doesn't mean God wants him to stay there. His own dreams prove that he would not wallow wallow in prison forever. We may debate whether Joseph was patient and waiting on God's timing or putting his future in the hands of a man. You know, the phrase remember me and show me kindness is more common to divine than human action. So maybe Joseph felt that through this true and favorable interpretation given to him by God that he would gain his release. And of course, ultimately, he was right but he would have to be patient a little while longer and wait on God's perfect timing for that release. Joseph then gives two reasons why he wanted to be released, First, he was forcibly carried away from his homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And second, he has done nothing to be put in this dungeon because he's innocent. The word dungeon is the same word for pit or cistern, reminding us of the pit that his brothers put him into. And notice he doesn't mention his brothers or Potiphar's wife or blame them at all for his present state. When the baker hears Joseph's favorable interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, he proceeds to tell Joseph his dream. And again, the baker is also fulfilling his occupation, carrying three baskets of bread on his head. And in the top basket is all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But there's no mention of him giving Pharaoh the bread. In fact, it's not Pharaoh who eats the bread, but the birds. This would have been a picture of impending doom for the baker. Again, immediately after hearing the dream, Joseph interprets it. The three baskets stood for three days, and like the cupbearer, Pharaoh will lift up his head. But this time, instead of restoring him, he will lift up the baker's head, meaning he would be beheaded and his body would be impaled on a stake. The meaning of the birds eating Pharaoh's bread was that the birds would feast on the baker's impaled body. This picture may have reminded the first hearers of Abraham, fighting off the predator birds in his dream in Genesis chapter 15. The birds of prey signified oppression, which Abraham was able to fight off, but the baker will not. This would have been a harsh punishment relegated to the worst kind of criminal. The Egyptians believed that the soul in the afterlife was dependent on the body, and this kind of damage to one's body would have major major repercussions. Golden Gate says this, while impaling shames a person and dissuades others from imitating the offense, the bird suggests that the punishment continues after death. There will not be enough to bury, and he will not be able to rest with his ancestors. This vivid picture shows that Joseph was certain that his interpretation would come true. We now come to the third point this morning, which is implementation. That's found in verses 20 to 23. Here we see the fulfillment of the interpretations of their dreams. This is what God's word says. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as, Joseph, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So we start this section with another time stamp. The fulfillment of Joseph's interpretations on the third day coincided with Pharaoh's birthday. This could have been his physical birthday, or it could have been the anniversary of the day that he ascended to be in Pharaoh. It was not uncommon for the celebration of Pharaoh's ascension to be accompanied by granting amnesties. The celebration included a feast given by Pharaoh for all his officials. And we see the fulfillment of Joseph's interpretation as Pharaoh lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he beheaded and impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph interpreted the exact implementation of the dream's interpretations showed that they came from God. The punishment of the baker indicates that his sin or offense against Pharaoh was grave. The text does not recount their reactions to these interpretations or why one is set free while the other is condemned. And this silence, I believe, continues to show the sovereignty of God. He was in control of all that happened to the cupbearer and the baker Just as he was in control of all that happened to Joseph. Then we're given this final caveat. The chief cupbearer, knowingly or unknowingly, did not remember Joseph. In fact, he forgot him. The cupbearer's neglect is doubly emphasized by the the verbs he did not remember or ignored and forgot. We know that God was with Joseph because he spoke through him to interpret these dreams. He has been forgotten by man, but not by God. And Joseph will continue in prison for another two years until Pharaoh has his dreams and the cupbearer finally remembers him. (laughs) Earlier, one of our principles was God is pleased when his people are faithful in adversity. The following comes from Gangle and Brainerd's commentary. What will be your response to unfairness, mistreatment, and misfortune? In the eyes of the skeptical world, the manner in which a believer meets difficulties by means of the grace of God is a powerful apologetic for faith in God. F.B. Meyer said this, the child of God is often called to suffer because there is nothing that will convince onlookers of the reality and the power of true religion as suffering will do when it is born with Christian fortitude. William Sankster, a well-known British pastor of the last century, was told by a doctor that he had progressive muscular atrophy. His muscles would gradually waste away, his voice would finally fail, and he would lose the ability even to swallow he made the following resolutions and he stuck by them for the rest of his life. One, I will never complain. Two, I will keep the home bright. Three, I will count my blessings. And four, I will try and turn it to good. Sangster devoted himself to the work of British home missions, figuring he could still write and he would have even more time to pray. He wrote articles and books and helped organize prayer cells throughout England. He turned misfortune into triumph because he believed in the God of the Bible. And someday we may be also called to face unfairness, mistreatment, or misfortune. As Christians, we will have adversity in this life. So the question before us today is how will we face those adversities? How will we face our own unfairnesses, mistreatments, and misfortunes? Hopefully we will face them like William Sankster and Joseph did. That brings us to the second next step on the back of your communication card this morning, which is my next step is to face adversity with obedience, patience, and faithfulness. You know, when we do this, God will bring us to Christian maturity, and we'll even be better equipped to notice the hurting and bring them comfort as we allow God to fulfill his plans and purposes in us and through us. And as I was finishing this uh, sermon last week, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to kind of say something about the next steps. You know, the question is, you know, what is our motivation for applying the next steps to our lives? Why would we notice those who are hurting? Is it because we feel that we're just good people? Well, that's not good enough because none of us are good people. In Mark ten eighteen, Jesus answers the rich young ruler, no one is good except God alone. Our motivation for noticing and comforting others should be because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We need the Holy Spirit to mature us through adversity and obedience, patience, and faithfulness. If you're here today and you're, or you're listening online, and these next steps resonate with you, but you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, I urge you to look on the back of your communication card and check that becoming a follower of Jesus. It's in the section about send me info about. Pastor Stewart and I will get in touch with you this week, and we'll have that conversation. It's the most important decision that you can make. As the praise team comes to lead us in a final song, and as the ushers prepare to collect the tithes and offerings, let's close our time in prayer. Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us not to leave this place the way we came, but be transformed by your word. Give us your eyes to see the hurting in our world and to not ignore them, but to comfort them. Mature us in obedience patience, and faithfulness for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.